exactly what love looked like in seventh grade. Even though I hadn't met love yet, if love had wandered into my homeroom, I would have recognized him at first glance. Love wore a hemp necklace. I would have recognized her at first glance. Love wore a tight French braid. Love played acoustic guitar and knew all my favorite Beatles songs. Love wasn't afraid to ride the bus with me. And, and I, I knew, knew I just must be searching the wrong classroom. Just must be checking the wrong hallway. She was there. I was sure of it. If only I could find him. But, but when, when love, love finally showed, showed up, up, she had a bowl cut. He wore the same clothes every day for a week. <laughs> love hated the bus. Love Love didn't know anything about the Beatles. Instead, Instead, every time I tried to kiss Love, our teeth got in the way. Love became the reason I lied to my parents. I'm going to Ben's house. Love had terrible rhythm on the dance floor, but made sure we never missed a slow song. Love waited by the phone because she knew if her father picked up, it would be... Hello? Hello? I guess I hung up. And love grew. Stretched like a trampoline. Love changed. Love disappeared. Slowly. Like baby teeth. Losing parts of me I thought I needed. Love vanished like an amateur magician. Everyone could see the trap door but me. Like a flat tire. There were other places I had planned on going. But, but my, my plans, plans didn't, didn't matter. matter. Love stayed away for years. And when love finally reappeared... I barely recognized him. Love smelled different now, had darker eyes. A broader back, love came with freckles I didn't recognize. New birthmarks, a softer voice. Now there were new sleeping patterns. New favorite books. Love had songs that reminded him of someone else. Songs love didn't like to listen to. So, so did, did I. I. But we found a park bench that fit us perfectly. We found jokes that make us laugh. And now, love makes me fresh homemade chocolate chip cookies. But love will probably finish most of them for a midnight snack. <laughs> love looks great in lingerie, but still likes to wear her retainer. Love is a terrible driver, but a great navigator. Love knows where she's going. It just might take her two hours longer than she planned. Love is messier now. Not as simple. Love uses the word boobs in front of my parents. <laughs> love chews too loud. Love Love leaves the cap off the toothpaste. Love uses smiley faces in her text messages. And turns out, love, love shits. <laughs> but love also cries. And love will tell you you are beautiful. And mean it. Over and over again. You are beautiful. When you first wake up. You are beautiful. When you've just been crying. You are beautiful. When you don't want to hear. You are beautiful. When you don't believe it. You are beautiful. When nobody else will tell you. You are beautiful. Love still thinks. You are beautiful. But love is not perfect and will sometimes forget. When you need to hear it most, you, you are, are beautiful. beautiful. Do not forget this. Love is not who you are expecting. Love is not what you can predict. Maybe love is in New York City, already asleep. You are in California, Australia, wide awake. Maybe love is always in the wrong time zone. Maybe love is not ready for you. Maybe you are not ready for love. Maybe love just isn't the marrying type. Maybe the next time you see love is 20 years after the divorce. Love looks older now, but just as beautiful as you remember. Maybe love is only there for a month. Maybe love is there for every firework, every birthday party, every hospital visit. Maybe love stays. Maybe love can't. Maybe, Maybe love, love shouldn't. shouldn't. Love arrives exactly when love is supposed to. And love leaves exactly when love must. When love arrives, say, welcome. welcome. Make, Make yourself, yourself comfortable. comfortable. If love leaves, ask her to leave the door open behind her. Turn off the music. Listen to the quiet. Whisper. 
Thank you for stopping by. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You are on the journey. My name is Neville D'Angelo. This is the Poets Roundtable series, episode four, Famine of Tears. We are exploring the role of poetry in our lives and in our societies. So fill your cups, top off your glasses, grab a chair. Let's explore together with poets in your community and from around our world. I heard the dreams are illegal in the ghetto. I heard that dreams are illegal in the ghetto. But I am dreaming. You know that dreams are illegal in the ghetto. I heard that dreams are illegal, but I am dreaming. I had a dream. I had a dream. I had a dream that I was in America. I was in America. I was actually in the land of the beautiful and the home of, of the, the brave. brave. My boss came to my office and said, hi, hi Bob, how's, how's it going? going? Why don't you take off early and here's that rage. And as I pulled my suburban up to my suburban home, I got the mail out the box, sold the proof for another, another home. home equity loan. Right. The Girl Scouts are there ringing the bell with cookies to sell. Of course, I brought a box as Hillary quieted down Marmaduke Court, began to bark. And then later on, my wife and the kids took a bike ride to the park. Keep up, dear. Well, when we got back, we had apple pie with ice cream on top. Then we buckled up and hit it on down the block for us to get the videos to watch. Titanic again. When we returned, the kids put on their PJs and relaxed in the den for some family time. Watching, watching videos. videos. Then all these strangers turned and said to me, Nigga, what are you doing here? Don't you know that dreams are illegal in the ghetto? What are you doing here? Don't you know that dreams are illegal in the ghetto? Those gunshots. Gunshots. Gunshots ringing the heat of the night. Followed by screams, violently disrupting my dreams. You see, in my neighborhood, I don't need to read the paper or watch the news to notice something bad happening around here tonight. Uh-huh. But once the ambulance leave and the police sirens stop and the crowd disperses, that, that silence, that silence soaks into my soul, sobering my senses, and it's often over-intoxicating society. And I, I try to relax. I try to relax, but the devil just won't let go. He keeps pointing to the signs that are posted all around me to read dreams of an ego in the ghetto. You see, my neighborhood is the bottom of the barrel where drugs get mixed. Here there are no brothers and sisters, just confused brothers and sisters. Here people drown in the backwash of the latest political scandal. Here the devil's in sweet control as dreams are sold. And you know there is no honor amongst thieves, so dreams are stolen with ease. A high school graduate, barely 17, gives up her college dreams for a pair of tight jeans and a chance to be the next inner city queen. Take what your mama gave you. In the inner city? In the inner city, checks and basketballs bounce with regularity. Crossing over. Life and death in the midst of no disparity. Ghetto youth live for nothing and ghetto youth die for nothing. Every day, blue skies are gray. All they know is that they want to make dough. The devil has them chasing the colorless rainbow. 
And at the end, there is no pot of gold, just a pot of steam, which exchanges for their dreams. You see, bona fide slaves are made in the devil's dream trade. Without dreams, you are equivalent to being non-existent. You see, our children need to be told they can achieve and that God bless those who hold on to their dreams. We got to take down the signs so the kids won't know that the devil is trying to make dreams, not, not drugs, but he's trying to make dreams illegal, but dreams are not illegal. Thank You are on the journey. Here is Ari Perez. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Life is about connection. The good life is a network of functioning connections. In the fulfilled life, evolutionary and sustaining connections are constantly strengthened. Perilous and paralyzing limbs are quickly repaired or judiciously disconnected. The dysfunctional life is plagued with bad connections. The sabotage life is disconnected. Life is about connection. Life is about freedom, the freedom to dream. The fulfilled life is free and able to pursue its dream, to explore its dream, and or to discover a newer dream. The state of the dreams of the unfulfilled life is frustrated. That's what we've gathered this far. Now for that tricky question. If we argue that the value of living for nothing and dying for nothing is nothing, then in this serious business of creating an invaluable life, a life worth living for, a life worth dying for, what's poetry got to do with it? I am dream. You are beautiful. When you first wake up, you are beautiful. When you've just been crying, you are beautiful. When you don't want to hear, you are beautiful. When you don't believe it, you are beautiful. When nobody else will tell you, you are beautiful. I am dreaming. So, Brian, the, the question before us is the relevance of poetry for today's modern society. Is it important? If it is important, how so? Is it not relevant? Then if it is not relevant, then why the hell do we uh, engage in it? You know, is it worth it? Uh, so what do you think? Is, it, is, it, is poetry relevant um, to today's modern society? That is Rick Couchman, poet and dean of students 
who has just received the Robert Louis Stevenson Award for Outstanding Achievement and is the author of Musings from Outside the Universal. He is seated at the round table with Mr. Brian Morrison, poet and corporate manager. You will recognize him by his distinctive Jamaican accent. Our question is placed at the round table as well as you mull over this question. We offer for your consideration two impeccable pieces of modern poetry. The first one you heard is by Sarah Kay and Phil Kay, not related, and is about that human search for that all-important connection. It is entitled, When Love Arrives. You can find that delightful performance, along with information about and performances by artists and poets participating in our roundtable series at riosports.com. That is R-Y-O-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com Riosports dot com slash poetry dot php There we provided you with another treat. Yes, there you'll be thoroughly energized by another popular performance and TED Talk by the incredible Sarah Kay entitled If I Should Have a Daughter. The second bit of modern poetry we are inviting you to consider, which you heard performed by twin poets, engages us on that other vital aspect of life, freedom, the reality of dreaming. It is entitled, Dreams Are Illegal in the Ghetto. Here is hoping you already have your glasses topped and your cups filled. I am pulling up a chair to our virtual round table. This is your chance to have, at the ready, your most important question. Bring it to the table. Poetry is relevant and has always been, been relevant, Rick. But when you fast forward to our modern times with the likes of Maya Angelou and uh, Toni Morrison, who has really caused a whole um, generation now of, of young people to be interested in writing and is writing a lot, saying a whole lot of things, a, lot, a whole lot of things that is relevant to their lifestyle and to what is happening today. Um, sex, crime, violence, poverty, all that stuff, Rick. And yes, poetry is important and will always be important and of course very relevant in what is happening and reflect what is happening today in our society. And I, and I think it's a good thing. Well, definitely agree with you. And from a, a, from a personal standpoint, uh, poetry is relevant. Uh, relevant uh, to the individual, as it were. Because what it does uh, it allows the individual to express his or her own feelings, sometimes uh, repressed feelings. And the beauty about poetry is that it allows uh, the expression of these feelings. And there are three degrees of relevance that uh, one can uh, consider, and uh, we can certainly pick up on these. There's a personal relevance of, of poetry, where it has that, it, you know, that cathartic effect for the individual to the extent that uh, 
uh, expressing uh, oneself uh, in verse, uh, to the extent that is able to cleanse or purge an individual, then one has to say that poetry has uh, relevance. It's like therapy in and of itself. Well, I know for me it, 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 it's very cleansing and very therapeutic. Fortunately, some of us have the, um, the talent, I would say, to be able to put these thoughts on paper and to bring them out. Sometimes just a word or a line, it can bring back in other people something that happened to them in the past, some kind of you know, emotion, whether it's good or bad, and that can be very you know, therapeutic and, and, and cleansing. The other thing that I sometimes think about uh, along those lines, Brian, is that if uh, poetry uh, can be uh, cathartic or therapeutic in that way, cleansing in that it can uh, be a means for, uh, by which an individual can uh, bring out uh, feelings, uh, either repressed feelings or either uh, feelings that are there uh, that the individual uh, might have cultivated uh, rel relative to his or her experience uh, in life. I'm wondering if, if, if uh, poets are able to do that, why, I mean, why aren't other so-called non-poets able to do that? Um, uh, is that, does that mean that, that poetry is some gift, uh, or the making of poetry, or the ability to create poetry is, the, is, is some gift that only a few uh, have, or is this something that uh, anybody should be able to do? I would like to think that anybody who has something to, to, to say, you know, whether repressed or otherwise, can think of a, a, a Unfortunately, Rick, um, it, it's not that that way at all. The fact that we can respond to pain, you know, someone pinches me, you know, I'll say, ouch, you know, that is an expression of what's, you know, of, of some kind of feeling that the individual uh, has. Um, and so I think that uh, every individual, this is me, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't have the, 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 the proof of this, but I have a feeling that every individual has that ability to uh, express poetically uh, the feelings that is inside him or her. Now, what the individual might not have is the literary facility to, uh, to, to express it. Um, but once the individual acquires that literary facility, uh, and uh, I think that certainly uh, goes a long way to helping that person to express uh, poetically in writing um, uh, that which he or she is experiencing on the inside. Yeah, are you right. suggesting that that uh, one of the poets' function or one of the literary um, society's function is to open everyone to see that they can express themselves in this way? Absolutely. What, what uh, children need, uh, you see, see, we need to expose our children uh, to, to, to poetry. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's not that poetry is some kind of esoteric uh, construct that is only available to, to few. It's in our society in, in various forms. It's, it's there in our proverbs, in, 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 our, uh, in our scriptures, in stuff like that. So we have to, in, in our uh, folk traditions, mm -hmm. right? They're right there. So we have to have that exposure uh, to, to what's going on uh, in our communities. We have to have the exposure to what occurred in the past uh, generations uh, of, our, of our communities. 
And it's by having that exposure that we, one, we develop a sense of, of literature, right? A sense of, 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 uh, of, of rhetoric, a sense of, of, of speaking, um, and then that are modeled for us in these various uh, ways. And then we develop within ourselves that ability as well. In my own experience as a child growing up, I mean, when I heard these, these nursery rhymes, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, it, it, it was like my whole world was opened up yes. into, into rhyme and rhythm. Yes. And I loved them. And then I continued on in, in, uh, in primary school, and um, I, I remember some of the poems that we, we learned there uh, growing up in, in Guyana. Um, about, about the rain falling on the roof, uh, rooftop, pit, 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 and stuff like that. Um, and there's something about that, the rhythm that really, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're rhythmical people, you know, um, uh, human beings. And so, you know what, we, we can pick these things up. And then in high school, you know, I was uh, exposed to uh, other works of poetry. Now, at that time, I had absolutely no idea that I wanted to, to be a writer of poetry. Mm-hmm. I never said, hey, I want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what was being developed in me was this uh, appreciation of poetry. And it was only until my adult years that I realized, wait a second, you know what? I have some things I want to say. And of course, over the years, I've developed as a writer um, because I was exposed to literature. There's a relationship between exposure to literature mm-hmm. and one's ability to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what it gives you is a sense of style and, and you know, the whole uh, nine yards. And I realized, wait a second, you know, I can write, and I have these things here, and then there's a way of expressing them that I find is going on in my head, and then, you know, you automatically I just put them, uh, uh, you know, get the pen, and there's the paper, and, and the words are, uh, appear. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it wasn't something magical. It wasn't, uh, it, it was something that was uh, uh, developed, through the years by being exposed to the various traditions, whether oral tradition, whether the written traditions, whether the poets of old, uh, and that is the thing that needs to be done. So I, the, the ability is there in, in every individual. Right now what I see though is that there is a, 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 a platform that's lacking now, right, for, for poetry to get that kind of exposure that, that it needs. It, it, it needs. Um, it, it's not afforded the same exposure like, let's say, you know, music, so to speak, you know, R&B and stuff like that. So I'm thinking that if, if poetry is given a broader platform, then more kids, more children will, will you know, will, will look to it that way. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and, and Neville, what you're doing on this program now is, is, a, is, is one way of giving it the kind of platform that it needs, and you know, that, that's very good. Yeah, thank you. And it's definitely, and it definitely, I, I don't know if uh, poetry is, is being taught at schools as, it, as they used to in the past. I mean, you, you have to have that experience of poetry, regardless of whether you liked it or not. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what the, the, the state of things are. Uh, uh, you know the, what how things are these days. If if it is given that importance in schools, I, I would like to think that is it, that it is because I know that there are many teachers out there who are are promoting uh, you know uh, poetry uh, and the appreciation of, of poetry. Uh, and 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 the intent is not necessarily to create uh, poets, but there's something about poetry that that it, it helps you to see things uh, uh, differently. The poet, uh, as it were, um, I mean, so you talk about poetry having relevance. I think it's more the poet who has the relevance. 
the poet is someone who uh, who who sees things, as they say. You know that uh, that movie. I see I see dead people all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know I see things right. all the time. Right. You know, you, we, we as poets uh, and an artists and and, and sculptors, you know, they they creator. Um, he or she is able to to see things. He or she um, is able to to maneuver to different perspectives. And he or she brings those uh, different perspectives, and that's the beauty of the poet or the artist or, or you know, the, 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 the various creators, is that we see things. You know? Rick, yes, sir. Rick, Rick you're emphasizing seeing things, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, hear things, you know? And well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hear things. <laughs> Are you guys about to scare me? So many. <laughs> we hear things, too, yes. Right. I'm putting on the table this new question. What am I to make of it as a listener or as a reader when a poet is so raw and so in your face that you're placed in an extremely uncomfortable position? Is that explosion of emotion meant for the poet's benefit or for the listener slash reader's benefit? If a piece can't knock you off your feet, if a piece can't make you cry, if a piece can't bring out all these emotions in you, then, you know, there's something to be said about you as an individual. A, a, a piece is supposed to, to, to strike you in such a way that it, it makes you to think differently. It makes you to go down, down streets and avenues that you would not normally want to go. So the, the, the objective of the poet, mm-hmm. when it delivered, yeah. right, is met when it, it, it does all those things for you. Ouch. <laughs> I, actually, I take a different um, uh, position on, on that uh, and, um, than, than Ryan. I don't think a piece, I don't think a, a work of poetry is supposed to do anything. Um, I think I understand what uh, what Ryan means, but you, you know, it is not supposed to do anything. Uh, my feeling is is that uh, the poem, once it is 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 put out there, mission accomplished. Because the, I assume that the intent was that was that uh, expressing a feeling that the uh, poet wanted to put out there, whatever it was that the poet wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I don't I, I don't write poems for any purpose. Uh, I am not I don't do didactic poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, my poetry is not intended to teach. Because if that's the case, then you know I'll be sitting down thinking about, okay, what next do I want to teach about? And that's not really coming uh, from, from my visceral experience. Mm. So my poetry has to explode from, you know, from the context, within the context of where I am at, uh, emotionally, as it were, mm-hmm. all right, or intellectually, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, there's no uh, designated purpose in my poetry. So I write as, I, as I'm led, and then whatever happens afterwards, then that, you know, fine. Um, uh, people can have what ex- whatever experience uh, they feel uh, relative to, to my poetry or any poem. Now, when the young person out there is putting out that raw, visceral feeling, okay, 
the, 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 there's an obligation that the poet has. The only obligation that a poet has is to put out the, the feelings out there. That is his or her primary obligation. We can't run away from that. Mm. The muses are going to hound us and, and come <laughs> after us until we do it. Now, once that is put out, right. we no longer have the responsibility. Right. Our responsibility is taken care of once we put the poem out there, once we put the, the emotions out there. Mm-hmm. But now, the hearer or the reader has the responsibility. Um, and uh, our poetry, well, for me, I can speak for myself. I'm not intending to embarrass anybody. I'm not in, intending to criticize anybody. All right? But I got to tell you, um, once you hear it or once you commit to read it, then you're committed. And it means that you're going to be put in a very uncomfortable situation. All right? Now, you have the choice. Don't read it. Don't hear it. Okay? But once you put yourself in that situation where you have to read it or you have to hear it, then you're committed. The responsibility now becomes yours. And you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with it, deal with the embarrassment, the the guilt, whatever it is that is that it's um, sort of bringing out in you. Uh, well, Rick, you know, just to go back to what you were saying earlier on about you know the poet's obligation, but I would also like to think that one has to attach you know a sense of purpose to whatever our obligation is. You know, um, what is it that you want the, the, the person listening to feel or to hear or to 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 to, to, to stir? But that's you know? not my interest. But that's not my interest, uh, Brian. When I'm writing the poem, I'm not writing thinking. Well, what do I want the person? No, I'm not writing for anybody. Uh, this is me personally. I'm not yeah, writing for anybody. That's you personally, but yeah. for me, there has to be some purpose to to my to my pieces. Yeah. What I want to bring them or what I want the person to listen to feel. Yeah. So that's, I think that's where we, 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 we separate. We're, you know, I attach purpose to, to whatever that I'm putting out there to achieve some, something. Right. Now, in keeping with, uh, with, with the, this whole thing about um, the, the discomfort that one might feel uh, from, from listening to a poetry, like I said, that's never, um, that's never my intent. And I know sometimes, uh, you know, people have uh, referred to uh, some of my poems as being controversial and stuff like that, especially the ones that uh, tend to pick up on, on religious themes, as it were. Neville, you, you're familiar with, yeah, with, with some familiar. of that stuff, right? Well, the thing is, is that, no, I have absolutely no intention of being controversial or stirring up waters or any such thing. That's not my intent. My intent is always, again, this is the personal aspect of uh, things, my intent is always to reflect that which is going on inside me, you know? Um, uh, and uh, it's not about critiquing society or any such thing. Now, here's one that I'd like to share that, um, that basically deals with my own personal response to, you know, something that was going on in society. And um, uh, here it is. It's called uh, Those There Before. That fatal morning, a score of newcomers arrived, landing on this gray, dismal shore of emptiness, each shrouded in a dark veil of wistfulness and weighed down with longing and grief. For too soon had they been whisked away like flowers 
in early bloom, lopped off by some bored lad with not better to do. Twenty orchids there were altogether, once a bloom in all their glory and splendor, and radiant with innocence and gentle charm, dear to many in life, but now a painful memory. And so the ones there before watched silently as these dear newly arrived souls disembarked, alighting on this strange gray and misty land where silence speaks and sound is mute. Silently they watched, those who were there before, of number innumerable, many complexioned, and hailing from inner cities and from distant lands, ravaged by wars, diseases, neglect, and famine. Silently they watched, those there before, not passing judgment or holding feelings of ill will, for themselves innocent victims of adult vices, of brutality, boredom, lust, and of greed for gain and power. Silently we watched, young drifting souls, reminded of the time we too were sent here, similarly cut down in the dawn of our youth, ruthlessly excised from the land of the living, but without the printed or spoken adumbrations of our own innocence or plea for our cause. But for many, our plight, our suffering, and death barely noised. As we, to merciless and mindless brutality, succumb, away from scrutiny on account of geography, or deemed unworthy because of ethnicity, of social status, of nationality, of religion. And so we welcome those 12 and 8 with open arms embracing them as like fellow siblings, forever united by premature and brutal death at the hands of those who are at worst ignorant. Through the ages and through time to this place they come, and still they keep coming and will keep coming, arriving daily, the young innocents of all creed and race. But here only by the nomenclature dead identified. And so must end humanity's slaughter of its daughters. And so must cease humanity's killing of their sons, holding all dear and sacred, not just the fair-haired few or those born among the so-called civilized. Those in the world be left behind must eschew violence against all its offspring, abhorring violence of every kind and in every place. For when civilizations destroy their children, themselves they do destroy. Hmm. Wow, that's pretty sharp. That's yep. pretty sharp. And again, it's not intended to be didactic. You know, I'm not intended to preach to anybody. Uh, that was not the uh, intent. Um, this was a response, my own personal response, to what was going on out there. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, yes, that was cathartic for me. Um, that's where the, the initial relevance uh, lies. Now, as to whether anybody is going to do anything with, with that or, or, or make any sense of it for themselves, um, who knows? But, but, you know? but to take up Brian's point, 
even though that this is intended to be cathartic, isn't there an understated purpose that I, even though I don't want to preach to you, hear me, hear me, hear me, could that be the purpose that you're also saying, hear me, hear me, hear me? Or well, you, if it's, go ahead. Yes. But then it's, it, there's also, so the, the, you see, the thing is, is that while I am um, expressing uh, whatever sentiments are being expressed there, right. uh, the, the poet, see, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the speaker. The speaker is, I'm not identifying with the speaker. I am with you. I think you've answered. Go right. ahead. Keep going, right. though. Keep going. So I'm with you. The poet, the, I as the poet, I am now also under the censor of that poem. Gotcha. So, but I'm, you see what I'm saying? I, it, this is not me standing on some kind of platform and, and, and preaching to everybody else. This is hitting, you know, this is hitting me in the gut. Right. You know, it's like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> um, this was my mindset. This was the way I was thinking about this, this sort of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize that, uh, wow, this is the way to perhaps think about it, mm-hmm. you know. Brian? This one is simply titled, Help. Help me take a couple steps back in search of a simple path I must have passed along the way. Help me to let go so that I may freely flow along life's streams and unite again with my dreams. I remember that one, Brian. <laughs> I do yeah. remember that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very, very, very short. I was sitting in this exact same place that I was, you know, doing, doing what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. and it occurred to me that you know, there's so many, there's so many things that I'm doing, so many things I'm trying to get accomplished, and what was suffering was, you know, just a simple enjoyment of just not doing anything, just being lazy, not being productive, just, just maybe just going for a walk or a stroll, you know, and, and this hit me that, hey, you know, I might take a couple of steps back and, and just go back to a time when things were simple, maybe even back to being a child, you know, where there was no responsibility, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly, and, you know, don't we all dream of that, you know? <laughs> I wish I could go back and 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 that you know to to when uh, you know things were uh, done for me. I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> that time of innocence, Brian. Innocence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wonder at the so we talked so we talked about the relevance uh, of poetry for the particular individual. But the question still is you know. So what's the relevance of, of poetry for society at large mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, um, you know, what, what, what can it do, what can poetry do for society? Well, it, well I'm going to answer, answer that question by saying, Rick, that I, I, I still think that we need, there needs to be a better and bigger platform for, for, for poetry and poetic work. Um, unless you're well-known, like I mentioned before, the, the the Tony um, then you know, works like these are, are, are not usually you know broadcasted or have a platform to be to be heard. 
I think is it really the platform, or is it um, awareness, or is it the strength of the poet these days, I'm not accusing anyone, um, to capture the attention of the masses? Well, it could be awareness as well, but remember, Neville, you as, as a person who writes and, and is into poetry will, will naturally be, be drawn to poetry and, and see poetry. You know, um, what I'm saying is, for those of us who are not so inclined, you know, we, we have to find a way of, of breaking this, this thing out to them. Mm. You know, and, and maybe that gives back to awareness. Mm -hmm. Well, so i got to ask the question. So, again, so you're talking about the, that the necessity for a, a, a platform. And yes, yeah, I, I agree. You know, we need, we need uh, uh, the, the platform for poetry. But then uh, Neville says that maybe there is already uh, the platform because there's a proliferation of, uh, of poetry, whether you, you know it or not. But the question still is, well, um, so even if it does have the platform, uh, what does it do for society? Or what would it do for society? Now, see, I am thinking that see, I have uh, grown up listening to poetry and uh, what it, my, my experience of poetry is that what it has done, it has helped me to, to see things differently. I think that's one of the, 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 the things that I got from poetry, mm. is that it has helped me to, uh, to, to position myself on different angles. It has helped me to listen carefully. It has helped me to be more of an observer in society, to watch, to, to hear, to listen to what's going on. If I'm in the subway, um, I, you know, I, I look at what's going on around me. But it also does, it, it prevents us from making premature judgments of people. So what it does, it, it, it uh, allows us to be, to be open to possibilities, uh, allows us to be open to different interpretations of things. Um, and it, it, it frees us from dogmatism, as it were. I don't know a poet, well, you know, it, I'd be hard-pressed to find a poet who is uh, uh, dogmatic, as it were, because dogmatism and, uh, and creativity don't go together, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because creativity is expensive, it, it, it's, it's large, it keeps growing, it's dynamic. So a creator, an artist, cannot be dogmatic. So the benefit of poetry then, so I mean, you remember Neville, you and I had a, a preliminary conversation right. in which I said right. to you that poetry has absolutely no doubt <laughs> right. whatsoever. Right. So I'm changing that because I think people wait a second, but it does have relevance for society because if people can, uh, if individuals can really get into poetry uh, and appreciate it and understand it, what it's about and themselves be involved in making poetry, not like we said, uh, not simply being recipients, of poetry because uh, I, I think that everybody has that ability mm. to, to create um, uh, the you know, poetic expression. Um, if people are exposed to that, I think their minds would be broadened a lot more. As a matter of fact, that I had said earlier, well, maybe we can say it's not necessarily that, a po that poetry is relevant, but it's that the poet who becomes relevant. Now, mm. Maya Angelo, I read her book. I know why the the, the caged birds sing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful book. I I I I have read one or two of her poems, but I can't remember any. I can't I can't quote any quote any of them. This doesn't mean that uh, Miss uh, Angelo is not a good poet. She's a damn good poet. But what it is is that as a 
poet, you know, she has the ability to see, to, to, uh, to you know, and, and to motivate. Uh, and that's where her, it's more than just an individual poetry, mm -hmm. but it's a person. Maybe we need to put uh, Mrs. Angelo uh, as, as president. <laughs> you know, maybe Mrs. Angelo needs to become the mayor of a, of, of, of a city uh, because of, 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 of her poetic ability. Um, so in that sense, I take it, the poet, the, the poet who has the relevant, who can affect society by uh, his or her influence, okay, yeah. by his or her thoughts, um, and people will listen to them, you know. It yeah. sounds like we should be writing a, a hell of a lot more than we should be doing a whole lot of writing. Well, you know, but I'm hearing a whole lot. There's no but, question about that. But, but I'm hearing more. I'm hearing more than that. Let, let me see. I'm hearing you say not only writing, exposing your poetry in the form of writing or, or expressing it, but of being involved in a capacity that um, what you you gained from writing poetry is now Absolutely. beneficial to the whole society. That am I putting? Am I putting? stuff in your your head or is that put stuff in my head it's about leadership too, right you know? I think it's because uh, it's uh, you know my involvement in course me my ability to to see uh, and to understand nuances right. um, is partly responsible for my effectiveness as a leader um, in the educational community in, uh -huh. you know in, in my sphere of experience uh, as an educator um, everything I do you know as a backpacker I, I I, I lead groups um, uh, in, in the wilderness, and uh, I would like to think that some aspects of my involvement in poetry has somewhat to do with my ability to do that, to lead people, to guide people, to, to work with others, you know, to, um, to accept compromises, to, to come to consensus, because we're not dogmatic in our outlook, you know what I'm saying? And I, don't, I know of no poet who is for war. You know, most poets, I'm sure, are, are, are anti-war. You know, we're for peace. We're peaceful people. We're not into that kind of crap. We're not into violence. Um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out there. I don't know. Uh, it, it, I'm hard-pressed to find a poet who is um, anything other than excellently positive in every, every respect, you know? Hey, Rick, you know, yes, it's, sir. It's, um, it's, and I'm off my soapbox now. It's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, an interesting, it's interesting what you said just now about, you know, leadership. Poetry has kind of groomed you for this sort of leadership, um, you know, um, position in terms of what you do in a community, in, in a your school community. Well, well not only, but I'm, I'm being careful to say that poetry because I think, you know, I have to give some credit. So my, my involvement in poetry, my exposure to poetry, some of it, not all of it, there are other influences, but definitely I would like to think that, that uh, my exposure to poetry has something to do with that as well, you know? Yeah, well, okay, what I'm getting at is um, in my sphere of work, having to deal with many, many different you know, people who are you know, more or less under, under my command, who come from different spheres of, you know, of the world, yeah. it has helped me tremendously and as you say, you know, bridging a lot of gaps and, and understanding people, where they come from, and how to solve a lot of the problems that happens when you have, you know, a hundred people who speak different languages and have different cultures. Yeah. So it's a, to me, you know, uh, uh, to, to meld within that mix, 
and, and to really be, be effective, especially with the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, and one of the one one of the key things, uh, Neville and and uh, Brian, that um, one of the key attributes or key qualities of a poet is his or her empathy. Uh, empathy is is a critical element in a poet. Mm. I know of no poet who uh, does not because. You can only write poetry if you have empathy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, if you're writing about someone else's experience, it means that you're putting yourself in that individual's uh, shoe and presenting that experience. Mm -hmm. So empathy is a critical element in uh, a critical attribute that, uh, for poets, and they all have it. Uh, the artists, the creators, as a matter of fact, you know, it's it's right there. Mm -hmm. And um, and with that, I'd like to uh, uh, share uh, this. Uh, Famine of Tears that I wrote. This poem was really born um, in a train, uh, Brian, uh, on the subway. I was going to work one morning, and uh, so we were in the tunnel. I didn't see anybody, you know, uh, or anything like that. I was just in the tunnel, and the train was um, was in the tunnel and 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 going at at, at reasonable speed, and uh, my mind started to wander and wander and. Um, you know, for some reason, it landed on uh, the issue of poverty, I believe. And then I started to cry in the train, you know. And I can remember pulling out a tissue and, and removing my glasses and turning so that nobody was looking at me and, and, and wiping my eyes. And uh, then I pulled out my, uh, my, my smartphone and I started writing. And so it was just a tear. That tear and, and just the thought of, of people being poor that uh, generated this this poem. So here goes. It's called "Famine of Tears." Actually, it's one of it, it's it's probably my favorite poems of all I've written so far. Yeah, uh, but anyway, here it is. The shadows cast their brilliance on wet and littered streets where dreams are trampled by a dazed and dying multitude, unmindful of the supplications of the teary-eyed prophetess, holding forth an inane paper cup like an ignored and rejected prayer. Even the sultry light retreated from this disparate apparition, earnestly withholding its life reserving it for an echoic new day, leaving the mendicant seeress to grope about for significance, unsure of finding her way, like a lost and weeping child. And still she persists, this waif, hapless victim of a dare long ago, salvaging dreams from trash cans. And yet she persists, our little sage, pleading with the surging crowd, spare some tears, spare some tears. But the dead multitude moves on, like routed clouds, discomfited, uneasy. Subdued reminiscences and stolen desires weave their way along broken sidewalks and among wistful, shadowy figures suppressing fleeting dreams of yesterday while our threadbare, barefooted sibyl, our sole possessions in a shopping cart, divine of the wrath to come and plead in. Spare some tears, 
spare some tears, please. But change, there is in abundance of compassion, there is a dearth. As with parched and barren hearts, a legion of dried up eyes stare, sightless, seeing but not seeing. Instead, judging the malodorous, the dispossessed child, too early an adult, as she pleads. Spare, uh, please, spare some tears. Spare some tears, please. Love it, love it. Family of tears. Well, with a lot of your poetry, um, the... Uh, yeah, just click the like button, that's all. Just click the like button. All right. I just said that so that, uh, you know, just to... Spare myself the uh, <laughs> the moment, <laughs> but uh, you talk about empathy, you know. Uh, we we as creators, you know, there's the artist, there's the musician. You you know what I'm talking about, yes. about Neville. We we as creators, we 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 have. We have, I think empathy is is that which is our hallmark. Mm -hmm. A great leader is a creative person is in a sense a poet. Whether you know, I I started whizzing through my head all the the great leaders in every field um, that um, that I'm aware of, and they all seem to be poetic in their whole lifestyle, and in yeah. in, in even their presentation and everything about what they do. So I I I, I like that that you tied <laughs> poetry. Uh, you you made every every good leader a poet. I love well, that. The, 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 there's one leader that, that that will not be a poet, by the way. So <laughs> don't don't let's go there. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know you'll edit this part out. So. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna edit it out. We're <laughs> you, you, and I might, you and I might have disagreements. Yeah, we'll have disagreements. Sorry, not working. Brian, I'm sorry, my man. You know. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, Brian, you said you had a poem you wanted to share as well. <laughs> well, I just want to give a little background to this piece here. Um, you know, I, I've always noticed that, you know, um, and, I'm, and I'm not the most religious of person, that a lot of people will profess their love for the Lord and for God, and they are the same ones you will see a homeless person, you know, in, in the train station and walk right over them and just be so harsh and show no, no, no sign of, of as, as you say, empathy or, or, you know, any, any humanity at all. You know, just believing that, you know, I'm here for this purpose and, you know, I'm going about my business. I'm, I'm not supposed to care about you, but on Sunday I'm going to go to church and I'm going to pray to the Lord and he's going to, everything's going to be fine. So this is what I came up with. It's called Love Thy Neighbor. Next door I heard her arduously praying, when appearing out of nowhere a quiet gusting, shivering not but cautiously aware of a presence and aroma unfamiliar, crowding the dark room. 
Who is it? She asked aloud, half raised, staring into the night, unclad, half dazed, intently listening as the silence grew intense. Is that my lover? She said with me. Your lover left, gone, came the heavenly refrain. Took his last breath, but not in vain. Up now and wide awake, it was indeed no dream. I had prayed to him, and now he has come. Lord, have mercy on my soul. To you I give myself for any role. Did you love your neighbor with esteem? If not, why then should you be mine to be to welcome? Mankind, your true lover, so learned your touch. He laid at our feet as we walked and rushed. His declaration is mine ignored. Nonetheless, my love, I love you still. Be assured. O oh God, have mercy on my soul. To you I give myself use for any role. Hush now, my love. Awake from thy slumber. Go henceforth. Feed your lover. Appease all hunger. Is poetry relevant? Is it beneficial? Um, you know, to community, to oneself. Yes, I think it is. Uh, personally speaking, I, I really think that um, when one puts out a piece of work, it, it it has to have some kind of purpose attached to the obligation of of, of what the, the poet is trying to do and accomplish. So, you know, whenever a piece is is listened to and, and delivered, it, it is supposed to 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 have such an effect. On, on the listening audience, that it moves the audience to to go out and and, and, and do something different, you know, to to um, touch one's humanity, so to speak. So that's where I'm coming from in terms of you know what I think poetry is and should do and how how it relates to this and how relevant it is, and it, it, it's very relevant. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, it was certainly a, uh, a pleasure to uh, be with you guys during these. Uh, past two sessions, uh, one in which we uh, examined the idea of spirituality, suffering, and uh, sexuality in, in poetry. And we know, I uh, think we've all agreed, that uh, these uh, constructs do inform, in fact uh, form the, the, the ground uh, of poetry. It's all the, it is that, those things out of which uh, poetry is, is, is given birth. Uh, we also considered uh, the relevance of uh, poetry for modern society. It is uh, obvious that poetry has indeed uh, rev relevance for the individual in terms of the uh, catharsis that it can provide that individual, that sense of release. Uh, but al also we would like to think that uh, poetry is relevant uh, to the society at large because involvement in poetry, exposure to poetry, uh, certainly uh, provides one the opportunity to broaden his or her horizons, uh, to develop empathy, to be able to see from uh, various uh, standpoints, and to really root out and eliminate uh, dogmatism. Um, so I say to all my fellow poets and to those aspiring uh, to become poets, and especially to young people in particular. Uh, keep writing. Uh, keep writing from deep within. Uh, be yourself and don't be afraid to put it out there.
So what was your most important question? What vital question did you bring to the table? Here's your chance to look at it afresh in the light of this episode's seven poetic experiences. Look at it in that light. Ah, did you see something new? Look at it closely. When love arrives, say, Welcome. Welcome. Make yourself comfortable. If love leaves, ask her to leave the door open behind her. Turn off the music. Listen to the quiet. Whisper. Thank Thank you you for stopping by. See you next week.